So today we're going to be continuing on with the Scandal of Grace series, and to get you thinking, I've got a bit of a question. Um, two weeks ago, I was preaching in Sidcup and asked a question that was a bit harder than the one I asked. I asked everyone to turn to the person next to them and tell them the worst thing that they'd ever done. Uh, so don't worry, we won't be doing that today. I didn't actually make him do it two weeks ago. It was fun to watch people's faces though at the time. Um, but today the question I want to ask you is, who's a person who has the life that you wish you had. Who's the person who has the life that you wish you had? Maybe it's not everything in their life. Maybe it's a part of their life to think, ah, I do find myself getting a bit jealous of them. Maybe you're looking at their pictures online and think, ah, they just seem to have their perfect kids or their job situation or their house, whatever it might be. Maybe it's a colleague or celebrity, a friend, family member. Who's the person who has the life you wish you had? Or maybe to... Uh, narrow down a bit into the root of that question what in your life if you had it would satisfy you what would bring contentment and the fulfillment that you're hoping for what would it be maybe it's that nicer house or promotion or better health or uh, children or your children succeeding maybe it's a powerful spiritual encounter what would it be in your life that would bring fulfillment well, today we're going to be looking at the family tree of Jesus as part of our Scandal of Grace series. Uh, we're going to be looking at King Solomon, who is the son of King David, who if you were here two weeks ago, we looked at. And it's this whole idea that the family that Jesus came from, the type of people in his family tree, the type of people that he came for. That's the type of people that Jesus is here for. So we're going to look at Solomon's life and we're going to learn a lot about ourselves. We're going to learn about our desires and we're going to learn about our disappointments. And we're going to look at the things that we all think, maybe the things that came into your head during that question at the beginning, would satisfy us and see whether Solomon had them, and if so, did it bring him satisfaction? So, first of all, money. Money. Maybe if you think, ah, if we could just pay off the mortgage, or if we could finally afford a car that doesn't break down every 20 minutes, that seems to cost us more than we had a decent car. Maybe it's if we could just pay off the loans or I just want to be able to provide for my family so we don't have to be worrying every month. Well, what about Solomon? Did he have money? We read, we, we read in 1 Kings 10 verse 23, we'll be in mostly 1 Kings today, that King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. In verse 21 it says, all King Solomon's drinking vessels were of gold. None were of silver. Pfft, silver. I love it. Exactly. Take a look at this. Silver was not considered as anything in the days of Solomon. I love that. I love that verse because it conjures up this scenario in my head where Solomon's chatting to his wife and they're planning a barbecue. And they're like, all right, so what, what cutlery are we going to use today? Like, what plates are we going to use? And they're like, wow, we've got a load of people coming and the kids are coming. Let's not bother with the gold plates today. Like, let's just use silver plates. Then we can not worry about the washing out. We can just chuck them out. It'll just be nice and simple. Let's just use the silver plates. Let's, I'm just like, this guy is minted. He's by far and above the richest of anyone. He really was the Bill Gates of his day. What about power? Maybe you wouldn't call it power because you're a lot too spiritual for that. But you think, if I could just be my own boss... I mean, it does my head in how my boss keeps telling me to do this and do that. And if I just, you know, if I owned my own company or if I was at the top, then life would be a bit more fulfilled. Maybe if I was a bit more respected in 
uh, people kind of looked up to me a bit more. Well, it says of Solomon in 1 Kings 4.21, Solomon ruled over all the kingdoms from the Euphrates to the land of the Philistines and to the border of Egypt. They brought tribute and served Solomon all the days of his life. Solomon had huge amounts of power, not just in his kingdom, but in all the kingdoms around. Success. Maybe you think, if people, see, a lot of people live thinking, if I could just prove all the people when I was younger who said I'd never amount to anything, if I can prove them wrong, then I'll feel like I've reached it. I'll feel fulfillment. You know that teacher is like, you'll never amount to anything. Or your parent who's like, you're dumb, you're worthless, you're not going to reach anything. If I could just prove them wrong, that ex-girlfriend, that ex-partner, if I could just show them I've made something in my life, then I'll feel that peace. Well, let's look at Solomon again. In 434, it says, And people of all nations came to hear the wisdom of Solomon and from all the kings of the earth who had heard of his wisdom. Solomon is at the top of his game. He's the guy doing the TED Talks. He's the one writing the New York Times bestseller. He's the one who everyone wants to know, what has he got to say on this issue? He was at the pinnacle. Success, sorted, done. Proved any doubt was wrong. What about romance or sex? Maybe you think, oh, if I could just be married, if I could just be married, then I'd feel fulfilled, at peace. All my problems gone. Or maybe you think, if I could have just married someone better. Or maybe you believe the message on the covers of every lifestyle magazine on our shelves that says, if you just had more sex or better sex, then you'd be sorted. Well, what about Solomon? Solomon had multiple wives and a huge harem. He could have sex whenever he wants, any time of day, whenever. What about kids? You think if we just had kids, then my life would feel fulfilled. Solomon had a large family, children to love, to watch them grow and to give them grandchildren. Or maybe because you are, you know, you're the most spiritual in the room, your answer to what would give me fulfillment is if I had a powerful spiritual encounter with God. If I just had that one encounter with God that proves beyond doubt that God's real, I could live on that for the rest of my life. I'd never turn from him. Life would be easy. I'd arrive on the wave of that till I reach glory. Just want that powerful encounter with God. Well, what about Solomon? He not only had one encounter with God in a powerful way, he had two. God spoke to him in powerful ways, told him about his future, told him uh, what he was going to do for him. And one time, one of Solomon's uh, encounters with God, I've never had one of these, maybe you have. One of his encounters with God was so powerful that God's presence came like a cloud. And this cloud in the temple was so thick that it literally had to shut down the meeting. Like, imagine that in church this morning, like God's presence came so much. It was a cloud. The PA guy's like, we can't even see the board. You can't read the words. Like, I can't see anything. Get out, get out. The fire alarms are coming on. His presence was so thick. It wasn't like, oh, I felt a tingling. It was like, man, his presence is here. God is real. Solomon had that experience. He had the encounter with God. His is, this is the guy who, if he was on social media, all of us would be looking at his pictures thinking, he's got everything. He's amazing. Like, man, his life is so much better than mine. He's got it perfect. What did Solomon lack? Nothing. Nothing. And the key question is this. 
did it satisfy Solomon? Did it satisfy him? He had everything that you ever want, that you think will bring you satisfaction. He had it. Did it satisfy him? No. No. Still wasn't enough. He starts acquiring, when you read the story on, he starts acquiring more and more wealth and starts these more and more elaborate building projects. He starts marrying more and more women. Any idea how many wives by the end of his life Solomon had married? Any idea how many wives? 700. 700 wives. How does that even work? I mean, how... I mean, how would you even remember? You'd have to get him to wear like name tags or something. Like you bump it on into the street and be like, oh, nice to meet you. Like, oh, I'm your wife. Like, oh, cool, cool, cool. Like you'd have to have a roto, like one a day. And then in two years, I'll see all of you. Like, how does that even work? I don't know. And just if, you know, 700 wives wasn't enough, enough kind of romance, sex, all the stuff he needed. He also had 300 concubines. Now, for those who don't know what they are, they're women that he didn't marry, but he slept with. 700 wives and 300 concubines. He never had enough. And 1 Kings 11.4, we read quite a depressing verse. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God. And if you get that, if you understand what that's saying, that's uncomfortable to read. Because we live our lives thinking that if we just had this, or if that just happened, then I'd be satisfied. Then the stress would go. Then the peace and fulfillment would come. And Solomon reached the top, had it all, and still wasn't satisfied. He kept looking for fulfillment in money and sex and relationships and other gods, and he still came up empty. And Solomon isn't the only one who shows us this. In fact, studies, if you, you can, I read some of this online this week, studies have shown that CEOs, top people in companies, are twice as likely to develop depression. The ones with the money and power, twice as likely to develop depression. The ones we're all aspiring to make it to, twice as likely to have depression. Countless celebrities have talked about how empty it is at the top. This quote from Jim Carrey got me the first time I read it. I thought, because I, I used to, when I was growing up, wanted to be famous. And this is what he said. I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. So if none of these things will satisfy, if none of these things will bring fulfillment, then what will? What will? Well, the message of the Bible and the message of Jesus is there's only one thing, one thing that will satisfy, and that's a relationship with God. The Bible calls it walking with God, knowing God's love, knowing his love for you, and then returning love back to him. Jesus says that all the kind of the teaching, the message of the Bible is summed up by this. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, soul, and strength. When you do that, you have a foundation that won't crumble. Jesus taught that if we build our lives on the temporary things like money and success, power, 
earthly relationships. So if that's the, the cornerstone, the foundation of our lives, then we're building our lives on sand, on shaky foundations. Because the rains come, the relationship might break down or the, the money stops coming in. You know, there's a financial downturn or a political change or your health is affected. And if your hope, if your foundation is on those things, it crumbles. But if your life is built on the rock that is Jesus, your life is built on something that's solid and strong and will last. But maybe you're like me and you uh, like to analyze and critique and you hear all that. And you'd ask a question that's a bit awkward, which is, didn't Solomon do all that? Didn't he build his life on God? Like, what? Isn't that how he started things off? So what happened there? I mean, he built the temple for God. Like, this was the biggest thing that ever happened to Israel. Like, he built a temple for God so people could worship. At the start of his reign, there's this incredible moment when God appears to Solomon and says to him, I'll give you anything. If God said that to you, how would you answer? He says to Solomon, I'll give you anything. And Solomon says, I want wisdom to lead the people of anything he could have asked for. And God says, wow, because you have asked for such a noble and honorable thing, I'm going to give you that wisdom and then give you everything else you could desire as well. He started so well. At the beginning of his reign, things are going well. And from all accounts, for most of his life, things went really, really well. He seems to be living for God. The people would have thought, he's this amazing political leader. I mean, there's a lot of talks about leaders and people of power. Solomon was this incredible leader. He would have been an amazing church pastor. We'd all want to be like him and to be led by him. So what happened? What happened with Solomon? His story doesn't really fit into our uh, comfortable mold, does it? It's not one of the stories we like to really talk about on Sundays, is it? It doesn't fit into the kind of uh, bad guy turned good. And, you know, to be honest, I could ignore it. I could try and put a uh, kind of a glaze over what happened to him. But I don't know about you, but there's tons of people in my life who once walked with God who now have walked away. And let's be real, we don't like talking about that in church. But I know I'm by far not the only person in this room who has people in their lives who've walked away from God. People I know who I've stood next to in, in worshiping, we've both been raising our hands, worshiping God, people who I've led ministries with, people whose sermons have changed my life, people who I've seen miraculously healed, people who have been my boss in churches who have now walked away from God and will identify as atheists. And there's people who are here who are in that situation, in that position yourself, who are on the brink of walking away. And I know that, not just because, you know, I'm involved in people's lives in church, but because I was that person who for months came to church when I'd pretty much given up. And you know what, then I actually did give up for quite a long time. And I kept coming to church and sat where you guys are sat, sat in you know, the church sheet, sang the songs and all that, and my heart had turned from God. And we could do the nice comfortable thing, we could brush these stories under the carpet as we would find most comfortable and easiest, 
But I think that's to our detriment. I think if we ignore these things, if we ignore our stories, if we ignore the story of Solomon, if we brush them under the carpet, it's to our peril. It's to our detriment. That's not real life. And I think as Christians, we want to be modeling to the world those who don't just ignore the awkward questions, but face them head on. So if you're the same as me and believe that's what we should do, that's what we're going to do now. We're going to look at Solomon and see what can we learn from his life and what does it tell us about ourselves. So what happened? Well, we see uh, when we look again at chapter 11, verses 4 and 6. It says, For when Solomon was old, his wives turned away his heart after other gods, and his heart was not wholly true to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. The key thing that comes out in this verse and throughout the story of Solomon is that his heart had turned from God. Unlike David. David is given as the the kind of model of what Solomon should have done. Now I know Tim preached here a couple weeks ago on David and we shared a similar message And maybe you were here and you heard the story of David and you thought, wait, 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 wait. Sorry, David is the standard of the good kind of God-following person. Because from what I remember, wasn't he the person who, so, oh yeah, he committed adultery um, and then tried to cover it up. And then when that didn't work, he killed the husband of the woman who he cheated with. um, And just generally was a terrible dad, made some awful decisions, was a bad leader often. So he's the one that God's saying, Solomon, you should have been like him. Doesn't that seem a little bit strange, a little bit confusing? Well, it's because God says, it's not about your actions, it's about your heart. But then you might have read the verse that we just read about. It said, and Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Wait, come on. Is, this, is it about your heart or is it about your actions? Do you ever find that sometimes when you read the Bible, there's things that just are a bit confusing and you're like, I'm trying to get my head around what exactly it is. Is it about, because I come to church and they say, it's not about what you do. It's about who you are. But then I read my Bible and there's all these rules. And so I just, I can't seem to see the consistency. So which is it? Does God care about your actions or does he care about your heart? Well, here's the truth. God loves you and wants you to love him back. His primary focus isn't your action, it's your heart. But here's the key thing. Your actions reflect your heart. They show not that you're a good person or that you've earned God's love, but they show you know God's love. Your actions, your words are a sign of what's going on inside. The Bible says that out of the heart, out of the heart, the mouth speaks. Where your heart is, there is your treasure. What your heart's on, you spend your money on. It says that above all else in Proverbs 4.3, it says, guard your heart for everything you do. Everything that you and I do is a result of what's in our heart. Everything flows from it. It's why we sing songs like, God changed me from the inside out. That can sound like a weird lyric if you don't get that. God changed me from the inside out because the interior is reflected by the exterior. And even with the best intentions and best heart, let's be real, each one of us is going to make mistakes and sin. 
But what you do when you sin also shows your heart for God. See, it's not wallowing in shame and self-pity and thinking, wow, God could never forgive me. I'm a terrible person and I've gone too far. But it's also not saying, hey, no big deal. Like, it doesn't really matter what I've done and just keep on sinning like Solomon did. It's having the response of David, who when he sinned, felt the weight of it. And he took ownership of it. But they turned and ran to God, embraced his grace and forgiveness. The act of repenting is a sign of what's going on in your heart. And God cares about your actions because he cares about your heart. And his love is incredible and amazing and mind-blowing. And he isn't looking for, for perfect robot-like followers of him who just do everything perfectly. He's looking for children who, when they mess up, run into his arms. So the all-important question that this raises is, how do we have a heart for God that David seemed to have and Solomon lost. How do we have that? Well, there's four things we learn from this story. First of all, seek God's face and not his hand. Focus on who God is and not primarily on what he can do for you. So I think part of the problem is, and this is an amazing thing, is God loves to bless you. He loves to pour out good gifts. We read in Matthew, it says, you know, if you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children. We've got Christmas coming up. We're all thinking about gifts. Well, if we can give good gifts, how much more with your Father in heaven, the perfect and loving and generous Father, give good gifts to his children? But what can happen is we can become so focused and so mesmerized by the gift that we forget the giver. And God is more interested in who you are than what you have. So there might be a time where he's giving and giving and giving you lots of things. And there's times when he takes away. Because that's what's best for you. But if your focus has become like Solomon did on the, the money and the wealth or success or the, the health or the, the, the things going well. When things start becoming more challenging... If your focus has been the gift and not the giver, you start to say, is God really good? I mean, look at my life. How can God be good in this happening? I mean, is he even real? Jesus said, focus on the eternal, the things that can't be taken away. Seek first the kingdom, he said, and everything you need will be added to you. What you need will be provided and you won't lose sight of what matters. So first, seek God's face and not his hand. Secondly, obey God's laws. I think one of the biggest misconceptions about God, about Christianity, is that God is this cosmic killjoy. He's this guy up in the sky who's interested in taking away all the fun stuff in your life. I was chatting with um, a few people this week uh, who aren't Christians, and we were talking about, uh, about God and what they believed, and they're like, I like this whole Christianity thing, but to be honest... Like, I just, I, I just see it as a really boring life, and God just wants to take away this, 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 and this. And so, pff, 
I think the belief is cool, but I'm not so sure about, about God and what he wants to take from me. And I think people just see it a bit like, it reminds me of, of like a, a grandparent who just, you know, it's like when you're running around as a kid who might be like, stop running. And every time you're having fun or that kind of annoying uh, parent, it might be like, ah, oh, you're just eating sweets all the time and stop it and stop having too much fun. You're making too much noise or just that killed you. And you think God's just up there basically trying to take away anything from, from your life. But the truth is, God is the creator of joy and laughter and happiness and fun. He's the one who created these things. He said that I came that you may have life and life to the full. When you follow God, it's not like, oh, all the fun stuff gets taken away. No, you get to enjoy the fullness of God's creation for you and how he designed you to be. Yes, there's sacrifice in God, but the Bible says for everything you lay down, God will give you a hundredfold anything you sacrifice in this life and the life to come. Jesus said, in my presence is fullness of joy. When you follow God, it's not a, a, a heavy burden of rules and commands. His guidelines are guidelines and rules and judgments to bring us into joy and to peace and to fulfillment. And I know that's easy to kind of say and to hear or whatever, but it's the times when God's commands don't make sense that we can find this hardest. And we need to remember it most when we're tempted to be a bit like Adam and Eve in the garden, when God said, don't eat from this tree. And then they say to one another when they're tempted, did God really say that? Did he really say we can't do that? It's a bit like Solomon with his wives. God has said, don't marry foreign wives who have foreign gods who will turn your heart from me. And you can imagine it. Solomon maybe thought, well, is it really that big a deal if I marry this person? I mean, who's it, who's it hurting? Who, who would be hurt by me marrying this woman? I mean, what, what would be wrong with it? I mean, they seem quite open to the God of Israel. I mean, they don't worship him, but they're, you know, they, they seem to be, you know, open to it and, they might change their mind one day. I, just, I can't really see why God would say that. Did he really say, I can't marry them? And it's in those times, it's hard to trust God's laws or for our best when we ask things like, sorry, God, you want me to forgive that person? Do you know what they did to me? Do you know what happened to me then? And you want me to forgive them, even though they're not sorry and they're probably still going to do it. You want me to forgive them? Or when, you know, God, I just, I can't see why it's not okay for me to have sex with this person I'm not married to. I know you're not supposed to, etc. but who is it hurting? Who, who does this hurt? What, what do you mean I can't marry that person? Yeah, I know they, they don't follow you and you want me to be with someone who loves you, but we love each other and it's not hurting anyone. It's in those moments when it's hard when it doesn't make sense, where we choose something else, where we have an opportunity to learn to trust God and develop a heart for him. And I think the example for me that really helps with this is, is seeing it a bit like a parent saying to a child, no, you cannot only have dessert instead of vegetables. You can't just eat dessert and leave your vegetables. And the child's thinking, you are a mean parent. You're a terrible parent. How can you say this to me? The dessert is the best bit. 
The dessert is the bit that tastes the most. How can you say I have to wait for it or can't have it if I don't have my vegetables? And we look at that and we think, oh, silly child thinking they know what's best. And then I look at my own life and realize in that situation, I'm the child who says to God who created me, who knows what's best, who understands human interaction, who's far greater than me. And I'm like, really, God? Really, I can't do that? Rather than having a moment of saying, I know you're good, and I'm going to trust you. It's what Solomon refused to do, and his heart turned. But in your life, in those moments, if you come to God and say, your will be done, there's a freedom that comes in trusting him. So seek God's face and not his hand. Obey God's laws. And thirdly, worship. I think this is one of those powerful things that we see from David, Solomon's father. So David is this incredible worshiper. If you've read the Bible, the largest book in the middle, if you just open it up, you'll probably find it by accident, the book of Psalms, the largest book. David wrote many of the songs in there. And David was this amazing worshiper. And the power of worship is that you read in David, just uh, in his Psalms, the real vulnerability and authenticity that he has towards God. See, I think for a lot of us, when we think of prayer or singing, it's, you know, we have to just say all the positive things to God and be like, God, everything's amazing. This is good. Like, I, I know life's hard, but there's rainbows and butterflies and unicorns. Like, we have this idea that in church, it's like, how's things going? Like, yeah, it's great. Yeah, good, good, good. All good. Yeah, fine, fine. You, yeah, fine. God's good. I'm good. Great, great, great. You read David's worship songs. I mean, this... Like, to be honest, it sounds more like a kind of stroppy teenage boy sometimes. He's like, God, where are you? He says stuff like, my pillow is drenched with my tears. And he's like, there's no justice, God. How long, O Lord? Why aren't you sorting this out? I thought you were this. Why is this happening? There's an authenticity, a rawness there, which connects our heart with his. If you follow God, you don't have to become some fake, happy, clappy, everything's good person. God wants your heart. He wants you to be real with him. And then what does David do every time? Pours out his heart, and then he always lands on truth. You read the ends of the Psalms, and they always say something like, but you, O Lord, are strong. You, O Lord, are good. Yes, it doesn't feel like justice, but I know you're going to bring justice. Coming back to truth every time will build your heart on a strong foundation. And there's also something about singing to God as well that stirs our emotions. I mean, have, have you ever thought about it? It's a little bit weird that God asks us to sing to him. I don't know if you, you've ever found that. Why doesn't he just ask us to pray or just give or say nice things to other people? Why do we have to sing to God? Like, surely we could cut that 40 minutes out of the church service, save us all a bit of time. Like, why do we do that? Because there's something about singing that stirs emotions. Why is it when you go to any football ground in the nation, you see these big, burly men chanting songs? Because there's something powerful, emotionally stirring about singing. Why is it that 99% of the songs on the radio are about love? Because love stirs emotion, and, it, and song stirs emotion, and they come hand in hand. And I just want to be real with you. I think, again, when you hear people preaching about this, and I've been in your position if this is the case, and you're like, you say all that, but I really find it hard to sing. And that's me. Like, I, I struggle with worship. 
I know for some of you it comes easy. For some of you it's like when you come to church on a Sunday, you're already excited for the worship and the singing. And you're like, man, I wish that the preachy bit at the end was a lot shorter. Like, let's just keep singing and have like a five, ten minute talk and I'm good. Like, or ditch the talk equally. I know that because I've heard people say it. It's not like I'm guessing it. I know it because people are like, yeah. For me, I'm the opposite. I love listening to talks. I do it in my car. I do it on the train. I do it at the gym. But for me, worship's a struggle. I'm not that guy who's like, oh, the new Hillsong album's coming out. I can't wait to get that in my car. Like, I don't enjoy listening, and this, this might be the most controversial thing you've ever heard a preacher say, I don't enjoy listening to worship music. That doesn't come naturally to me. I find it hard. And I know that it's like, oh, but there's a lot of people who are the same as me. It doesn't come naturally. But I know it's good for me to sing to the Lord. So when it comes to Sunday and the songs go up on the screen, and I'm not feeling it. I'm often fighting because I say, I know this is good, God. Sometimes I get there and I feel the emotion. Sometimes I go a whole time and I don't. But I know it's good for me. There's something about worship that stirs our heart. So if you're like me and that's the most freeing thing you've ever heard, that you're not alone, I'd encourage you, fight to worship God. Even this week, I was feeling stressed about a few things, lots of stuff going on. And I was walking around and just this song popped into my head. And I just, I was in the office. I mean, I'm in a church office, so it's okay to sing Christian songs out of your office. They might be like, oh, they're hearing voices again. Um, I've heard about their church. Um, but for me, I was just walking around the kitchen, actually, in the church. I was feeling stressed. And a song came to my head, and I just started singing it. And all of a sudden, like, almost a physical weight lifted from me. Maybe you felt that. Just through singing a few lines of a worship song. So seek his face and not his hand. Obey God's law. Worship, and fourthly, remember. The mistake that Solomon made, and the mistake that the Israelites, if you read the Old Testament, you'll see it time and time again. The mistake that they made was forgetting what God had done. And it's the mistake that we make time and time again. Why do you think we have Remembrance Sunday? Because we can forget. Even massive things, like the people who gave their lives by the millions for us, we can forget. And so we need to be intentional about remembering all that God is and all that he's done. And Solomon had so many things that he could have remembered and thanked God for. I mean, when you know his life story, I mean, he was born out of scandal. He was born from adultery and murder. And of all his brothers, God chose him to be king. And then his kingdom was the most powerful and successful and wealthiest that Israel was ever in the history of Israel. He had so much to thank God for, and yet he forgot God's grace and love towards him. And you know what? With all that Solomon had, each one of us has more to thank God for than him. More that we can remember about him. See, in Solomon's day, God was at a distance his presence was in the temple. You had to do sacrifices periodically to make up for your sin. Now we have seen Jesus, God, come down to earth and take the punishment that we deserved. We no longer have to make an annual sacrifice. We no longer have to wonder, will God forgive my sins? We no, have, no longer have to think, I've got to travel to that place to know God's presence. We have God's presence living within us. 
What a blessing. What an amazing thing. And what was the one thing that Jesus said we should do regularly? There's only one thing he commanded us to do regularly. To take communion. He said, take the bread and take the wine. Why? Why, Jesus? Why do we have to take bread and wine? This is a weird ritual. Why? Because he said, do this in remembrance of me. See, Jesus knew how easy we could forget all that he'd done for us. Surely not. No, we we can. He said, do this. Never forget. Never lose the wonder of my mercy and grace towards you. Don't forget who you are. Or maybe more accurately, don't forget whose you are. You're a child of God. You've been bought with the precious love of Jesus. Every day, come to him in prayer and worship and thanksgiving, remembering who he is. Proverbs 4.23. Let's read it one more time. It says, above all else, guard your heart for everything you do flows from it. Above all else. It's the most important thing. Guard your heart. And many of us know that. Many of us like hearing this, like, yeah, yeah, I've heard that. Cool, cool, cool. Great, great, great. We know it, but it's no longer a living reality for us. You know who wrote Proverbs 4, verse 23? Guard your heart. Any idea who wrote it? Solomon. Solomon wrote that. He knew the truth, but didn't live it. You can know that verse. You could memorize it. You could have it on a nice magnet on your fridge. But if you're not living it, then your heart may have walked from God. Solomon's sin led to all sorts of problems for him and his family and the generations to come and for the nation. Sin matters. We can and we need to always come back to grace, but we should never lose sight of the fact that our actions have consequences, huge consequences. But the incredible truth is that God didn't reject Solomon's family. Even though Solomon turned away from God, God stood there with open arms, ready to welcome him back. And he stands there with open arms to you. And just so that there was no confusion of what God's stance is towards those who walk away, Jesus shared an incredible story in Luke chapter 15. And it paints a picture of a man who, like Solomon, rejected his father and went to pursue money and sex and all the things that the world has to offer. And so the son says to his father, I want all my inheritance from you now, early. I'm done with you. I wish you were dead. I'm doing my own thing. So the son leaves and goes and enjoys the things of this life, partying and women and, and just enjoying his money. And he gets to a point, enjoying the, the best things that apparently life has to offer, and he feels empty. He realizes there's no satisfaction in those things. So he comes to the end of himself in in this dark moment, he says, maybe if I just turned back to my father and went home, maybe he'd accept me back as a servant. I mean, of course, he'd never accept me as a son because of what I've done. I mean, there's no chance. But maybe if I repay my debt for years and years and years and I kind of, I'm just, I really humble myself before him, he might just forgive me, maybe. So the son turns towards home and starts walking back to his father and as he starts approaching his house I mean what do you think would have been going through his head maybe my father's up there with his arms crossed just livid tapping his foot thinking oh when he gets back oh 
And in the distance, as he gets closer to his house, he sees a man, and the man's running towards him. And as this man gets closer and closer, he realizes it's his father. And his father catches up to him and wraps his arm around him and puts his robe around him and gives him his ring. And his son's like, wait, 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 I, 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 I'm so sorry, Dad. I'm so sorry. I know, I know I've, 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 st- I've taken all this money I'll, I'll, for years and years and years. I will repay it. I'll be your servant. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Please take me back as a servant. And his father says, are you joking? You're my son. I'm putting my robe around you to show you're part of the family. Here's my ring to show that you're mine. What do you mean repay it? I'm your dad. I'm here now. Hey, guys, 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 we're having a party. My son who once once lost is now found. That's how God treats you. If you're the person who today knows you've walked away from God, whether you're willing to admit or not, maybe you know your heart's turned, maybe completely or partially. God's saying, come to me now. You don't have to make it up with me through just a load of good works or proving yourself for the next few years. And here's your last chance. God's saying, come to me today. Give me your heart. Give me your heart. You don't have to earn my love. You're my child. I love you. It's the scandal of grace. And you know what? The scandal of grace is you could not turn back to God today. You could keep living your life just how it is, away from God, year after year, rejecting him year after year. And then in your last days, you could turn to him and he'd still forgive you and love you and wrap his arms around you. That is ridiculous. That is not fair. It's a scandal. That's why we call it a scandal. That shouldn't be right. And yet God would still forgive you. The scandal of grace. But my question to you, if that's your mindset, is why wait? Why wait? Firstly, because you don't know if tomorrow will come. You don't know. You can be young, you can be old. Today could be your last. But maybe not. Maybe you will live for years. But living away from God is living away from fullness of joy and peace, and the best he has for you. Why wait? Turn to him right now, today. And this is a message for for people who've never given their heart to God, who's thinking, you know, I've never had my heart turned towards God in the first place. You can do that today. You can know his love, his satisfaction, the, the fulfillment in life you long for, the shame you've been carrying can be freed. The joy you've been seeking can be known from his freedom and grace. But this is also a message for those who've followed God for years. This is a message for those maybe like me who grew up in church. You've been around the church scene for many years. You know how it works. You've led communities. You've been in kids' work. You've done all sorts of stuff for God. You've been around the church block for a while. And it's a helpful verse and a hard verse to read when it says, Solomon was old when his heart turned this wasn't some story of you know a teenage boy who you know when he got to 16 his parents said you don't have to come to church now decided to rebel this is someone who was a strong follower of God who worshipped God who went after God and then gradually his heart turned and this is a helpful heart check for us this morning I've had to do it this week be like I've kind of yeah, have I, have I been going through the motions? How much of this is from my heart or I just know how to do this Christianity thing? This is a message 
for us that have been getting more excited about that new extension or that new promotion or the success of our kids. Good things, but become our priority. We get more excited about them than the thought of, ah, oh, there's that new guest in church. and I, 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 I don't know if they, they know God. I could share with them a bit about my life or, oh, it's been great to see someone being healed. Or, I, I could be used by God. It's for the person who once walked with God, but now things feel distant and dry and routine. Where's your heart? It's a chance for you just to ask that question this morning. God wants you to know his love, for you to have peace and joy that comes from following him, to remember all he's offered you. The scandal of grace is no matter how far you've turned, God's waiting there with open arms. He's waiting for you this morning with open arms. I love the verse in Lamentations that says, The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is your faithfulness. His mercy and his grace is new and here for you this morning. You can give your heart to God today.